This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. I want to talk about a big story today that happened and bring in... We don't usually bring him back twice in a week because we don't want to wear him out. He's got enough to do, but he just got off the air at CHCH, so Bubba O'Neill joins us again, probably fully exhausted from just doing the news, the sportscast on CHCH, but we're going to prop him up and keep him keep him going for a few more minutes, Bubba. Thanks for doing this. Hold on. Let me get him on here. Bubba, are you there? Yeah. There we go. <laughs> oh, we just lost. Oh, hold on. Let's... um. We'll get Bubba back because I just cut him off. I hit the wrong button. You know, every once in a while I do. I'm talking about how exhausted he must be. And then I press the wrong button. Answer the phone on someone who apparently was calling in for the quiz question. <laughs> Hang up on him and don't have the right person. Because we are going to be chatting about the Tiger Cats today. Orlando Steinauer, defensive coordinator for the Hamilton Tiger Cats, Left the team. He's decided he's going to move along. He's going to go and coach in U.S. college football. Bubba joins me now. Bubba, how are you? I'm fantastic. That, that's good. I've got. I, apparently, I'm working with my knuckles or something today. I'm not working with my fingers. I got dumped. Yeah, that's right. That's a first. Uh, hey, just before, by the way, before we get to the Orlando Steinauer thing, I want to ask you. Oh, Luke, just okay. This was not me. Now Luke hit the button. Bubba is. This is this is the first time we've ever we've dropped people before once. We've never actually dumped them twice. He's going to get a complex here. But, yes, Orlando Steinauer, the defensive coordinator of the Hamilton Tiger Cats, has decided to go coach university football down in the States. It's a big move, and it's a big hole for the Tiger Cats to suddenly fill. So we're going to chat about that in just a second. Because I do now, I think, we're going to try this one more time, I do now have Bubba O'Neill back for sure, correct? Uh, dumped by you, dumped by your producer. <laughs> I... <laughs> I have no future. No, well, <laughs> as long as there's no one else working tonight, you're good. <laughs> All right, before we get to Orlando Steinauer, as I was starting before um, the phones went berserk, uh, let me ask you this. I was listening to an interview on another radio thing today. I was driving around and I was flipping around a bit. And explain to me why it is that I would never describe for you, I would never say in a sentence, that was a beautiful hockey shot. Or that was a fantastic basketball dunk. Or that was a tremendous baseball pitch. And yet when you talk about golf, <laughs> you have to say that was a great golf swing. That was a great golf shot. There's, that's a beautiful golf course. He hit that golf ball well. Why in everything in golf do we have to preface the word with the word golf? I don't know. I don't know. But there, there's so many. I mean, and again, when you're in sports, you don't have to be an English major. You just make up stuff. That's just sort of the way it is. It's like in baseball for me. And those, you know, the golf ones annoy you. Um, when I hear announcers say, you know, when they're, when they're talking baseball, it's like, you know, that he's a professional hitter. What do you mean he's a professional hitter? He's a professional baseball player. Of course he's a professional hitter. <laughs> I just, every time I hear the golf folks, and, you know, good for them, but every time I hear the golf folks get talking and say the word golf, 47 times in every conversation. It's like, do you not think I know what sport you're talking about? We're on a golf course. We're watching golf. We're talking about golf, and you have to tell me the word golf over and over again. You know, or, or when things happen or maybe things get a little rough and tumble in hockey, well, that, you know, that's a hockey play. <laughs> it do, okay, fair enough. It does come up very occasionally, but not like, anyway, <laughs> let's move along. It's, it's my, little, my little thing for the day today that it just, it dawned on me because the person who was talking literally, Bubba, I mean, if there was a quora, quota on the word golf that had to be used by the populace every day, he used it all up. The whole country's worth 
was used up by him in like five minutes. Anyway, well, I, I suggested there is an option now of you know of tweeting people, so maybe you should take up and do a little <laughs> tweeting to whoever that individual was. <laughs> you know what? Maybe I'll just I'll just send him up like a hundred tweets, and each one will just say golf. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if this was the if this was a drinking game and I had to take a shot of something every time he said golf, uh, honestly, I'd be at the hospital right now having my stomach pumped. Yeah, you wouldn't have made work, Scott. I would it not have made a total disaster. Well, considering I'm such a lightweight anyway, it wouldn't have taken very much. After the first sentence, I would have already been in a coma. But <laughs> let's move on to Orlando Steinauer because this, I think, the, the certainly the perception, but I think this is a big untimely loss for this team. I was going to say this football team, but <laughs> after our last little conversation, I'm not going to say that. Uh, for the Ticats, though, this is a big loss for them. Sure it is. and But I, I will say this, Scott, I think they were more than prepared for it. Um, I think it had become more than obvious uh, that uh, Orlando was ready for a head coach, I mean, at the very least, a head coaching job in the Canadian Football League. Um, uh, the only thing is there's really no opportunities, no head coaching jobs that are available right now. Um, but I think it was more than obvious, and they had written that uh, clause in his contract that if something better had come up, because uh, he did, you know, uh, sign a two-year contract extension last before the season. Um, but he did leave himself open that if there was something that you know, you know, that you know was attractive to his eye, that he would have the permission to leave. And and I think the Tiger Cats. Uh, and they, you know, the Tiger Cats have long said this: they don't want to be in the, you know, in the professional development way of anyone. Um, and if someone chooses to leave, I mean, you know, they, you know, that's with their graces. So, to me, they, knew, I think, they knew this was going to happen. I think Orlando did a wonderful job, and I think Jeff Tedford, who hired him, the head coach of, at Fresno State, it, it's now December. So that gives the Tiger Cats a lot of time to sit there and ponder their options. Let me play devil's advocate on this one, because while everyone for a couple of years now has talked about how Orlando Steinauer is a head coach in waiting and how he's been great and all the rest, he had the third worst defense in the CFL this year. And at times, people, us included, were very critical of the defense of the Hamilton Tiger Cats. How much of that was him? How much of that was the players he had to use? I don't think it was anything other than injuries. I mean, I mean, yeah, there's definite, there was definite performance issues that were discussed on a weekly basis. But now that the season's over and that you could look at the big picture, Scott, I, I really believe that I thought he made the, that defense as good as it could possibly be. And really, it was the strength of the Tiger Cats. It's the reason why they even made the playoffs. Because to me, uh, I'm not giving a lot of credit to the offense of the Tiger Cats this season. I thought their defense was the stalwart. And that front seven that they had, I thought, performed at a very you know above-average level, considering the situation. And on top of that, too, I don't think um, there was a week where there was or at least back-to-back weeks where the same defensive backs, the same five defensive backs lined up, considering they lost their what there was going to be their two starting corners before the season even started. So I thought he made the best out of what was available. I think his, his abilities and getting to this, you know, the, the team to the Grey Cup in two years was certainly part of it as well. Um, and I, I think he teaches a real good defense. You mentioned that they it is December, so there is time to find somebody, and that's... I mean, that's absolutely true. I just wonder who is out there right now who's the obvious choice or who is an obvious choice because, you know, I mean, as much as it is still early, the guys who are the really highly, highly, highly sought after guys are under contract because they're really, really, really sought after. 
in the Canadian Games Cup, and I believe in the NCAA, because the season's not over yet right now, except for you know the, some teams that are not playing bowl games. So that leaves a whole bunch of talent of, of guys out there in the United States that would come up here and uh, are probably highly qualified. Uh, the NFL season is not complete, so there could be an availabilities there. Um, I think the Tiger Cats will have a, at least, again, because of the timing of this, they will have a lot of ability to, to, to look around and see who's available. Maybe not so much in the Canadian game, or maybe they even look in-house. I mean, Jeff Reinbold has, has been a guy that was the linebackers coach and the special teams coach, and to me, a good leader of men, a good understanding of the Canadian game, been around, and uh, gets along real well with Coach Dawson. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'd be very reluctant. I would be very reluctant to dip down into the NCAA ranks unless the guy you're pulling back from the NCAA ranks is a guy like Orlando Steinauer, who already very, very, very intimately knows the Canadian game. We've seen too often the American guys come up here who know everything about football, and then it completely is a disaster for a while while they realize I don't know anything about this brand of football. I, you know, this team is, the window is open right now, but who knows how long. You don't want to bring up a guy who's going to take two or three years to learn this. It's got to be someone who can hit the ground no, running. No, no, no. I mean, I, and I, when I say that, I mean, I'm talking about guys that maybe have even, even been here before. I mean, when I talk Coach Austin, I mean, here's a guy that had been here, won a great cup as a head coach, went to the NCAA, um, you know, was coach at two schools, I guess at Ole Miss and at uh, Cornell. Yep. And came back, you know, several years later. So there could be many individuals. I mean, I can't think of many off the top of my head, but I know there is many uh, out there, right there. Well, let me throw a crazy one at you. Let me throw a really bizarre one at you because, uh, and closer to home, the Hamilton Ticats already went to McMaster University to find their offensive coordinator. Greg Knox has worked for a CFL team. He's worked for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and has had the best defense Every time he's been in the CIS, his defense has been among the best. Do you think that there's any chance the Ticats say, we're going to double up and double down on McMaster? I mean, that would make for an incredible local story, but I think Coach Knox is actually, I mean, in a situation where he's in the, in the midst of building his own staff right now at McMaster. Yep. Uh, so I think for would him, create chaos uh, for sure. It would it would I mean for it would be chaos for McMaster after losing Steph Patasic the way they did. That the guy they just hired, you know, presumably on a long term basis after leaving the Canadian game, would leave the program that he's just about to build. So I, I don't see that happening. It would be, again maybe in a couple years from now. You're you're totally correct in that, but I don't think the timing is 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 there for Coach Knox to be to be leaving his uh, his youth uh, sports program right now. So, what is this going to say about the Canadian Football League? Because there will be people who will look at this and will say, you've got a professional coach in a professional league who's got loads of experience, because between playing and coaching, he's got, I don't know, close to 20 years in the CFL now, who has decided that it is better for him to go to a university that's not a powerhouse. They were 1-11 this year and will make more money playing college football, coaching college football than he would to stay and coach professionally here in Hamilton. What does that say about the CFL, if anything? No, it, it, it's 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 a much smaller league, and I think the I mean, college sports is big time. I mean, I don't need to compare. You know, I don't think anyone, all of us know that. You know, college football in the NCAA and a Division One school is big time football, and it's important football, and it's big, and it's. Uh, I, I think the opportunity for Orlando right now is, is, is fantastic too, because I think this is where you want to go. 
uh, where a team right now is rebuilding, and, and the guy who's running the program is a former CFL coach in Jens Tedford, who spent a year here uh, uh, at the BC Lions and was a personal hire of Wally Buono, the winningest coach of all time in the Canadian game. So, uh, I mean, what does it say? I mean, it says that it says that we all what we all know is that the NCAA is big time sports, and Orlando is a guy obviously from the West Coast. So maybe there's a bit of homecoming for him as well. But there's also opportunity. Orlando's a very, very bright man. Uh, and I'll be honest with you, I could see him tailoring, tailoring himself you know, for the next couple of years with that job. I would not be surprised to see him as a head coach in the NCAA. I would not be surprised to see him as a head coach in the Canadian game. And I also believe, because he played with the Miami Dolphins, I could see him as a positional coach in the NFL. He's 43 years old. The timing is perfect. And he's, and I, I mean, again, you sit down and talk football with that guy. He's as bright as they come. It will be interesting. I mean, as you mentioned, Ken Austin did it, went to Cornell, went to um, Ole Miss, and then came back. Well, actually, it was in the other order from that. But uh, you get a little experience, broaden your horizons a little bit down there, learn some more about football, and then come back and coach again. It, you know, it wouldn't shock me. I don't think it would shock anybody. And frankly, I don't know why it is that in the CFL, still, we seem to be dazzled sometimes by those NCAA credentials. Because there are people who have, done, who have worked their career up here and know the Canadian game really well, and we still get dazzled when we see, oh yeah, but he also spent time in the NCAA. It's, it does happen, and so for him to now have that on his resume, that may help him as well. I, I totally believe it, and, 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 and that's why I, I throw in the NFL option there too, because I really, and I'm, be, I'm honest a bit, I'm not just making hay because, you know, I, I, I like Coach O, but I, I think he is a bright, bright individual, and I think, again, when you're in a conference like that where it's rebuilding and if things are successful, there's a lot of talking, there's a lot of communication in the NCAA to what's going on in the NFL, he would be seen as a very young, bright guy that you know what that a, a head coach of a of a program in the NFL could look at and say this is a good coach and and I haven't even said this to you talk to every tie cat offense a defense on the defensive side of the ball and the offensive side of the ball and he has the respect and I'm talking about Isaac when he was coaching with the Argonauts he is very 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 well liked so not only was he a good coach as in in terms of technical knowing the game he's a good molder of men and I think that all leagues are looking for guys like him. So this is why I say that I, you know, because to be quite honest, had there been a coaching vacancy in the CFL, that may have been available for him this year right now. But there may be bigger things for him available uh, when time, uh, as time rolls along. See, I, I think I, I wasn't sure you were right because I always thought the Tie Cats, really, the players and the coaches hated him because they always made him not have a team jacket on the sideline and wear something that was a ridiculous color that it was like to stand out by himself. You're not allowed. You're like you're you're like Rudolph. You don't get to play in the reindeer games with us. You you do. I mean, I know there was a reason for that, but it was always there's all the Tie Cats in black and gold, and there's Orlando in like lime. <laughs> Live or pink or two. I mean, he was doing that so the players on the field could see him and see the hand signs. I understand that. But still, for people who didn't know, they were like, why is that guy not get a team jacket? What did he do wrong? You're, you're right about that, I'm sure, because there was a lot of people asking, why is he doing this? But now you've revealed it. <laughs> well, wait, listen, I appreciate you doing this. And because we cut out on you, because we hung up on you twice, I'm going to give you the privilege. You hang up so I don't get to hang up on you, and then you can hang up on us. Three, two, one. <laughs> 
There goes Bubba O'Neill of CHCH. You can catch him tonight at 11 o'clock on the CHCH News. Um, it is, I mean, it is a loss. This guy is a really good coach. As Bubba says, he's a really popular guy. He's a really well thought of guy. There is time to find another defensive coordinator. But what's that old phrase, that old cliche? I hate cliches. I really do. But every once in a while, there's a cliche that fits. There's a cliche that actually has become a cliche because it makes sense. And that's the old one about a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush or dance with the one, dance with the devil, you know. No, he's not a devil. I'm not saying that. But you had a guy here that you knew what he could do. You didn't have to worry about it. He was in place. Now, he may have gone to get a head coaching job, but as long as he didn't, he said he was going to come back here. You had a guy in place who was good at his job, who people liked, who was happy to be here, and you knew what that was. You're going to go out now and hire somebody, and the guy may be great, you hope. But you know what? Not every hire at every position on every team has turned out to be a fit. And you could end up with a guy who doesn't mesh, who it doesn't work for, who the players don't like as much. I mean, these things do happen occasionally. It's so not saying that's going to happen. I'm saying you had something that was a certainty. Now you're heading into uncertainty. You can only hope that the right guy is brought in to fill that position if you're a Ticat fan. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. I want to talk for the next few minutes about the highway of heroes. I assume you know what the highway of heroes is. If if you're not really sure, think back to, what was it, two years ago now, roughly, when Corporal Nathan Cirillo was killed in Ottawa. And then the procession with his hearse and the limos and everything coming down the 401. And if you've ever driven on the 401, you'll see the signs on the side of the road with the poppy on them. And it's during everyday activities, I guess it's the 401, but when there is a soldier who has been killed and is being brought home, it's the highway of heroes. And you know what I'm talking about now, right? Because you've seen the people pulled off to the side of the road. You've seen the people standing on the bridges with the Canadian flags and the fire trucks and the people saluting and people singing, oh, Canada. It's an incredibly moving thing whenever you see one of these processions. Terribly sad. We never want to see one. We'd like this highway of heroes to never, ever be used again. But that's probably too much to expect. But you know now what I'm talking about, if you didn't already. The Highway of Heroes, is a, it's a beautiful, beautiful Canadian tradition. In fact, it's so unique and so touching that a number of years ago, after one or two of our soldiers were killed, I think it was NBC News did an entire feature throughout the entire United States to show the Highway of Heroes because it's something that other places just don't have it. So we can be proud of it even though we don't ever want to use it. But there is a new tribute, a new plan that's going on to both beautify and recognize soldiers along the Highway of Heroes. The Highway of Heroes tribute, it's called. 117,000 trees are going to be planted along the route. One for every Canadian soldier who has been lost since Confederation. It's a lot of people. 117,000. It's also a huge project. Well, joining me to talk about it, Mark Cullen is not just the guy you see and hear on the home hardware commercials on TV, although he does that, but he's also the board chairman for the Highway of Heroes tribute. He joins me now. Mark, thanks for doing this tonight. Thank you, Scott. Um, 
before we get to the tribute, I, I just want to continue with this, um, the Highway of Heroes idea for just a second. Have we always had this, or is it more of a new thing that someone picked up at some point and, and turned it into this? Well, it's very much a new thing. And the truth is, it's a 100% Canadian thing. And I think we should all be very proud of the fact that the Highway of Heroes actually had never had, and still doesn't have, a corporate sponsor. It was not supported by the government. That's not how it came into being. It was Canadians who felt moved to uh, pay a quiet tribute, a, a very quiet and private tribute, to our fallen during the Afghan conflict. And it was after about the second or third um, fallen soldier had come home and their bodies had been repatriated at CFB Trenton, and they were driven by hearse down the 401, that people in Port Hope and Coburg began to gather on bridges. Um, and that became uh, rather, how can I put it, it was publicized by some local newspapers and radio stations. And, and it was the Toronto Sun, actually, that coined the phrase, the Highway of Heroes, some months after the very first gathering of people on the bridges. Um, and, you know, in the end, Canada lost 150 uh, men and women uh, to the Afghan conflict, and every one of them was driven down the Highway of Heroes. Uh, and just for your information, the trip is 170 kilometers, and it travels from CFB Trenton, where bodies are repatriated on Canadian soil, and it ends at the coroner's office at Keele and the 401 in Toronto. You know, the interesting thing about this whole idea and the whole concept is it seems to me that it would be the worst possible drive to take because of obvious reasons. It means if you're, if you're in that procession, there's someone you love who has been lost. And, and I mean, it's unimaginable. At the same time, Mark, I would have to think that in some ways it would be the most moving drive you could possibly ever take. Well, I think so, and I think for the thousands and thousands of Canadians that have gathered on bridges, and eventually the bridges became so congested that uh, Canadians began gathering on the margins of the highway itself, um, that for them the experience was moving. And it's, it's, it's a credit to them that we're planting 117,000 trees in memory of each of Canada's war dead since Confederation on the right-of-way of the Highway of Heroes. This may be the dumbest question I'm going to ask all week, but I'm going to throw it out anyway. Why, for, for the people who stand on the side of the highway, stand on the bridges, who watch the procession go by, why do you think it's so moving for them? Because they don't necessarily have any connection to the person who is in the hearse or to the family. Why do you think it's so moving? Well, I think it's because we all understand that freedom has a price, and peace has a price. And when we stand on a bridge and we quietly acknowledge the sacrifice that has occurred um, as a, a hearse drives underneath the bridge, um, it's a very special a very quiet and a very moving experience, and I think it's a very personal experience, and it's probably a very different experience for everybody that does it. So there's no one answer to that question, Scott, to be honest with you. I think I've learned since I got involved in this campaign to raise $8 million to plant trees along the Highway of Heroes that for everybody there's a different story. For everybody there's another personal story. 
So let's go to that tribute that you're talking about, the 117,000 trees. Where did that particular idea come from? Well, it came from a group of not-for-profit tree planters who had a common interest in doubling the urban tree canopy, including that of Toronto and Hamilton and and, and Niagara and and Kitchener and Waterloo. and, and, And we saw, we know, and we know this now, that there is this slow erosion of our urban tree canopy right across the country in in virtually every urban center across the country and the um, emerald ash borer really hasn't really helped us on that because it just keeps dropping and as it drops there's a growing number of people with concern about how we're going to stop the decline and what we're going to do to plant trees to replace the dead trees and then it was the Executive Director of Landscape Ontario in Milton, his name is Tony DiGiovanni, that said to the group, why don't we just reforest the Highway of Heroes? And then we're not only providing an environmental benefit to the people of Canada, we're also providing a living tribute to our fallen. And you know what? We, a, a light bulb went on in the room. We said, you're right. That is precisely what we should do. And it's an idea that seems to resonate with a lot of Canadians. It does. It also strikes me, I mean, from a purely logistical and cost and everything else, it's a it's a monumental task. 117,000 trees is a lot of trees to be planting. Well, it's it's true, Scott. And the truth is, we're not just planting them in, in, in soil that's ready to go. We're planting them on margins of a highway that's really quite hostile to um, a living to the environment that living trees really want to thrive in, that can thrive in. So a lot of the investment, the reason why we need $8 million to plant 117,000 trees is that we need to remediate that soil and we need to create an environment that isn't hostile to tree growth so that we can grow these trees and we can ensure that the vast majority, 98% is our goal, are going to live and thrive and generations from now are going to provide a living tribute to our fallen and a reminder to everybody that drives down the highway a generation, two generations, three generations from now, a reminder of the sacrifice the sacrifice that was made for peace in Canada. So how does this work then? Because if you're looking to raise $8 million, I'm assuming a lot of that you're hoping will come from the corporate sector, but I, I would also guess that a lot of that has to come from donations. How exactly do you raise the money? How does someone get involved with this? I am so glad you asked that. I am really glad that you asked that question because the truth is, at the moment as we speak, we've raised $800,000. Every dollar has come from a private donor, not corporate and uh, not government, but from private Canadian citizens that have said, I want to support this. We need $8 million. We've raised almost $800,000. And the way that you contribute is you go on hohtribute.ca, as in Highway of Heroes, tribute.ca, hohtribute.ca, and donate $150, and that buys a tree. And just in the last couple of weeks, we've had a couple of hundred Canadians sign up and buy a Canada 150 tree. And the idea is, first of all, we want to say happy birthday, Canada. We're coming up on our 150th anniversary birthday. Secondly, it costs, coincidentally, about $150 for each tree that we plant along the right-of-way of the highway. And finally, for everybody that makes a contribution, they're going to receive a T-shirt, 
with a Highway of Heroes living tribute uh, um, um, lo- uh, logo on it. They're going to receive a, a, a certificate that's uh, suitable for framing. And in the spring, and they're going to get that before Christmas. They can put that under the tree and they can say, you know, this is from me to you in memory of Uncle Jack or our dad or our grandpa or our my husband or whoever it may be. And they're going to receive a tree, a real living tree, come spring 2017 to celebrate the 150th birthday of Canada. And that tree we're asking each of our donors to plant in a place that's of some, some significance to them. And we want them to plant that tree and tell us their story. It's in memory of whom? Is it maybe just an anniversary that you're celebrating or a birth in the family or something that says, Happy Birthday, Canada? And then we want people to take pictures of their tree and pictures of their family and their friends around their tree and post it on social media. And we want to create a real buzz around the personal stories that people have in relationship to the Highway of Heroes. Just to be clear, there will be a tree that will be planted by someone else involved with the organization. You're getting a second tree to plant yourself. Yeah, I'm glad you got that. That's right. So a real tree, a larger tree, will get planted right on the highway. And I don't mean on the uh, somewhere up in a farmer's field in the margins of the highway. That's another story, and we are working on that, by the way. But the point is, right on the right-of-way, we have an agreement with the MTO, the Ministry of Transportation, to plant right on the right-of-way 117,000 trees. And coincidentally, perhaps, there seems to be enough room for about 117,000 trees between CFB Trenton and the coroner's office in Toronto. The um, the interesting thing about this too is so so as you mentioned as Mark just mentioned he, you can buy this you can for yourself you can buy it as a Christmas gift you can do it in honor of somebody who you know if you had a grandfather who died in the war or whatever I mean any number of reasons you might want to do this but I understand also and the reason I actually wanted to have you on now is because I understand that up until next week there's a group called the Legacy Leaders who will match all donations so if you buy one tree a second one gets planted that's right we are so fortunate to have a very enthusiastic group of private donors who really want this to happen. And it's the only reason that we've reached $800,000 in a year. We've given ourselves about five years to raise $8 million, and we know that we, we need to build on this momentum. And our legacy donors have said, let's put some money on the table that we will match anyone that, 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 is, that um, logs on to HOH tribute.ca tonight and buys a tree for 150 bucks, we're going to match it. We're going to plant another tree on the highway. It is a, it is a very interesting idea. I got to be honest. It's a cool idea because we, you know, people always like to do something that is different. And I know, you know, there are groups, uh, like world vision that have a catalog that you can do something to help out in a part of the world. And those are, that's a terrific idea. It's a tremendous idea. If you want to do something for Christmas, that's not, just to add another bit of stuff to your basement. Uh, this is another one of those things. If you're interested in doing something that is different, that's um, that's useful, that's beyond you, that, it's a really interesting idea. Um, again, once again, the address hohtribute.ca if you want to read more about it and not to put a rush on it, but as Mark just pointed out, you've got a week to two for one your trees, basically, with the other donors. Uh, Mark Cullen, really appreciate you taking time to do this tonight. Thanks. Well, and I really appreciate the time. Thank you for the opportunity. That is uh, Mark Cullen. Again, you've probably heard that voice 
if you're thinking, if you tuned in just not right at the beginning, you probably heard that voice before because that's, you know, that's the guy who does those home hardware commercials with the really deep resonant voice. I mean, you just heard it, right? Uh, but he's also the guy, the board chair for this particular Highway of Heroes tribute, which is, I got to be honest with you, if you're going to, if you're looking for something to do that is not just to accumulate stuff for Christmas, there are places to do that. There are ways to do that. If you're looking for something to do to put someone else's name on it, whatever, I say World Vision, our family has done that before. It's a, it's a wonderful thing to do, to buy something for someone in the developing world that you can help out. And this is another thing. If you are deeply moved by our soldiers who have died, who have traveled on the Highway of Heroes and you want to be involved, here, here's another way. Once again, one more time, hohtribute.ca is the website and all the information is on there. You can find all the stuff you need to know if you were thinking you might want to do that and give that to someone for Christmas or even do it yourself. HOHtribute.ca. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. A beer library, beer bank, whatever you want to call it, is being created at the University of Guelph. And it is essentially a storage facility for different strains and types of hops so that in time, as things change or the environment may change or whatever else, that various beers or at least the hops that create various beers can be protected and preserved and kept in, kept going basically. Well, Dr. Pravina Saxena, Saxena is a plant science professor at Guelph University uh, he joins me now, I believe, if I'm correct, from California, where I'm sure the weather is far, far nicer than it is here. Is that correct, Doctor? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, it's good for you. a little bit, but it's pretty good. Uh, well, good for you. Obviously, uh, your brilliance does not only extend to plant science, but also to getting away at the right time from this part of the world. So just shows how bright you really are. Well, I think it's just <laughs> God's grace that I've been... Able to escape a little bit of that snow. Good, good for you. Yeah. Uh, why, why, what's the idea behind this? Why would we want to have a library or bank, whatever you want to call it, that would pr- preserve different types of hops? Um, actually, the uh, institute that I work in is called Gosling Research Institute for Plant Preservation. And the idea at this institute is that we should be able to preserve all kinds of plant diversity as you know, uh, climate is changing, and there are a number of other factors, including industrial activity and over-harvest of the plants. Some of the plants that we see today may not be there tomorrow. And if this happens to be an important plant, such as hops or any other medicinal plant that has been used in the past to uh, enhance the flavors or medicinal value of uh, beer or other uh, medicinal preparations, uh, we need to preserve these plants, and, and the technology that we develop allows us to freeze the plant completely. In fact, we freeze the plant at minus 196 degrees Celsius, and then keep them frozen for a very, very long period of time, theoretically indefinitely. And when there's a need, we can bring them back. The idea is it's like a bank. It's an insurance. Uh, it's, it's a very important uh, a strain of hops that gives you a very specific flavor and you want to preserve it, well, we should do um, this process, which we call cryopreservation. The plant will remain there forever, and whenever the industry or um, an organization needs it back, we will be able to, to produce it 
in very large numbers and, and give it back. This is going to show you how little I know about this topic, but I didn't realize that there were that many different strains or that many different types of hops. I, when I hear that there it's hops, I kind of think, well, hops are hops. Clearly that's not the case. No, not really. I mean, a simplest example would be apples. I mean, there used to be 12,000 different types of apples. And today what you see is maybe four or five in the supermarket. But if you go in the villages and in, in, in uh, not so urban settings, there are still more than 1,200 different types of apples grown. And each one of them is different. And each plant actually is very different. They have chemical signatures, uh, what we call them. So if you look at two tomato plants in the field, they look same, and, and probably an average person cannot differentiate. But if we analyze the chemistry of these plants, they are they might be very different. And I would then assume that by following that logic, that then the different hop that you would have would pr- pr- would provide a different flavor for a beer, so that if you were a company or a, a beer maker who had a particular flavor that you wanted to be able to keep, uh, you got to make sure that some of these seeds, some of these hops are protected so that we can keep this going. Absolutely. And not only protected, but there should be a technology that can exactly clone the same type of, of plant so mm. that the flavor remains consistent. Do we grow hops in Canada or much hops in Canada? Um, to my knowledge, we do grow, um, but not as much as there is potential. Uh, this industry is growing, and I believe that if there are speci- special type of hops available, and the technology to grow them easily, it would be a really huge commodity. But is it is it an easy kind of plant to grow, or does it take an awful lot of work? And I mean, is it a difficult thing to harvest to bring to harvest? Um, it, it is not that difficult plant to grow, but I think I should emphasize one thing: growing plant is one issue, but growing it in the right conditions so that you have the right flavors might be a, a very different situation. Plus. Uh, 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 the nature of the plant is actually determined by three things. One, the genetics, which is extremely important. That's why we want to preserve it. And then the environmental condition and the nutrition that plant receives. And any change in any of these conditions can change chemical profile of the plant and therefore the flavors uh, it was going to give in the beer or any other preparation for that matter. Another thing that I don't know, again, that just shows how little I know about this topic, are hops are hops a naturally occurring plant, or are they something that's been genetically modified or created by humans? Uh, the hops are naturally existing, and, and natural hybridization takes place uh, in nature all the time. But it is possible to select a specific variety, just like any other crop. And there have been strains that have been grown for hundreds of years as clones, and people have... Um, preserve them through um, trade secrets or not sharing the germplasm with other types of hops. And uh, this is a a general practice. And in fact, this has been a practice for many medicinal plants that have been used in brewery uh, in ancient times. And hops is one of the plants, but there could be many other medicinal plants that could be effectively utilized in in this process. So with your your hops library, if you want to call it that, is this going to be entirely a public type of thing, or do you expect or have you already had private beer companies, the big companies, Molson's, Labatt's, whoever else, come forward and say, yeah, we need you to keep some of ours as well because, you know, just in case? Well, I, I'm hoping that this, this 
should be the case because we strongly believe. In fact, uh, our institute is aiming to develop technologies for for any and every plant that is important. In particular, we work on endangered plant species where only one or two or three plants are left in, in this world or the plants that are dying as a result of disease or natural calamities and, and whatnot. But these technologies are also applicable to commercial crops. So we intend to provide that service to the industry, whether it's uh, apples or hazelnuts or uh, any other important crops for that matter. And hops um, demand is growing, and uh, we hope that these technologies will be available to any industry who wants to work with us. I can't remember where I've seen it. I can't remember where it is. I'm sure you know the answer, but somewhere in the world, and I was thinking Switzerland or Norway or something, somewhere with mountains, there is a seed bank buried under the mountains, deep into the mountains, where some... Uh, yes. Where is that? I can't remember. Yeah, it, there's several. Okay. One of them is in, in, in Sweden, and, and Millennium Seed Bank in, in UK is one of the largest ones. And the idea behind um, that is that we're going to have a seed or a bunch of seeds from every known plant, pretty much, so that if there was um, to be some sort of apocalyptic event, we would be able to restart. Absolutely, and that's the easiest way to preserve the biodiversity. However, uh, a a large number of crops are vegetatively propagated. So if we really want to keep exactly the same characters in the plant the way we know them today, uh, they have to be done differently because when you deal with seeds, they are product of two different genetic materials, so male and a female, father and mother. So the offspring is, is very different, um, and uh, in that case, what we need is take the small part of the plant and vegetatively clone it. It is not genetic manipulation. It is a, a technology by which you can grow plants in large numbers, just multiplying from vegetative tissue. So there's no genetic tinkering in, in that sense, but we simply clone it. It is, uh, it is a really interesting topic, and I think a lot of people will be thrilled and relieved to know that even in the event of, as I say, some sort of natural apocalyptic event, beer will still be available to them once we recover. Absolutely. <laughs> Dr. <laughs> Ravina Saxena from the uh, Guelph University, plant science professor. Thank you so much for doing this tonight. Thank you very much for giving the opportunity to share some of the technologies that we have. It is, it is you know, I, I don't... Again, we could have gone on for an hour because I simply don't understand. I'm not bright enough to understand. I don't understand how we can freeze something to the point that it is, well, what did he say? 160, I mean, some some ridiculous temperature and then bring it back to life, which (laughs) I got to admit sort of comes to mind that we're talking about Walt Disney and I think, aren't the stories that he's been cryogenically frozen with hopes of coming back to life? That's the rumor anyway, who knows. But but the real thing, I mean, that stuff, all that human thing, Ted Williams and Walt Disney and whatever else, I mean, that's that's strikes me as, you know, whatever. But this, they've got science that would actually say they've been able to do this. You freeze this thing to some ridiculous temperature, but it... It can be brought back. You can then grow these seeds. You can grow the, the the things, the hops or whatever else. It's amazing levels of science that we're now dealing with here. But as I said, if you are a beer drinker, you will be thrilled to know that even if there was some sort of drought or some sort of event in nature that killed off all the hops, 
beer will not be gone because University of Guelph has a hop bank, a hop library, where after that's done, they will be able to clone and plant and regrow these hops that would create the beer of your favorite flavor. Interesting stuff. The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900. AM 900 CHML.